Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And good morning once again. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and it's another week of American Tennis. And folks, as we are starting out our ninth year, I mean, I'm starting to get fired up here because stuff is starting to happen. We're starting to play sports. Our kids are back in schools. I was taking a walk yesterday morning, and there were school buses going by, and I was applauding and giving a thumbs up to these school bus drivers because we got stuff happening, at least in the state of South Carolina here. And daggone it, are we tired of inactivity or what? You know, just that's been terrible, and I I got a little theory on this. I want to get right to our program, as we've got a great one today. I just lost my. Uh, I hope my caller will call back in here. Um, but anyhow, we've got a great program for you. But I want to talk here just a second about what is going on with uh, this stuff. I I said, you know, I've, I've sort of used a description that you feel like you are a uh, daggone duck are in a duck pond just treading water and ducks are swimming around you and you're doing nothing you're doing nothing but we uh you know now we've got some activity going i don't think we're cut out to just be idle and non-social but anyhow and we're definitely not supposed to be doing that with tennis we got people playing tennis again, but I'm I'm hoping that these tournaments will break, come out of nowhere. Since so much inactivity, I'm hoping the extra activity will take off and it's going to explode because Americans are not meant to be idle. Today's program, we've got Coach Jody Hyden. Jody, can I call you Coach? Is that all right? That's right. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I call you always call you Coach. Coach Jody Hyden. He coached eight years, folks, in D1 Division One tennis. And I was uh, lucky enough to be a friend of his and uh, uh, be a colleague of his and see the work that he actually does. But, you know, uh, Jody, you never lost an ACC match when you were coaching the women at Duke. I think you won four or five, uh, 
conference championships there. You had a girl that won the NCAA right the year after you left. And uh, if I could just talk about you a little bit briefly here, and then I want to uh, I want this to be your program today because I sort I sort of pumped you up here on this uh, preview that I've always got to put out there. I just said getting the, op- the opportunity to hear from a coach, teacher, and parent of, uh, of players, uh, and the perspective you have on USA Tennis and all that you've contributed over the years, and then going into you're in a different field now but you're coaching as well and being very very successful at what you're doing rumors were you're top 10 in the country at what you're doing now is that true uh we're we're one of the top practices uh uh in in our in our company uh in the top top uh quartile yeah okay i i know but you were you've always been a winning coach and you're just doing the same thing but i'm glad you're able to make a little money now they always said coaches a room board and experience and that's about all we get is room board and experience that's the way it's been in my life and as i enter my 40th year as a head coach 42nd year in coaching college stuff and I'm I'm pumped up, but I said top collegiate coach, mentor of many athletes, and um, I got here that you're just going to give parents, coaches, and teachers some some direction. But I did want to give you a little bit of a hype and a little bit of bump, and I wanted to say, look, it looked like your lifelong dream was going to be after your playing days was to get into college coaching. Um, you know, and uh, you were in three ACC schools and then you were a head coach. Could you talk about that experience a little bit and just talk about, you know, the journey uh, of doing that and, and some of the, the good things, but also the things, you know, in a good way. I always say address issues, not people. We can say whatever we want to say, but just sort of that. And then I want to really get to, to more meat on the bone with what we talk about here and the current state of tennis in the U.S. But let's talk about that a little bit, if you can, your your background and all that you've done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I came from a, a small town in Virginia, um, never had a tennis lesson growing up, um, only played a few tournaments local, um, played seven sports in high school. Uh, it was one of those high schools where, you know, you'd be walking down the hallway and somebody say, hey, Jody, can you run the mile? And then you'd be on the track team. So uh, it was uh, uh, it was one Seven of those things. Seven sports. Uh, what 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 did you yeah. play? Football too? You played what? Football, basketball, football, baseball, baseball, basketball, um, tennis, track, golf, um, cross country, and um, so. But it was a small school, you know, sixty three people in graduating class, and so Holy you cow. played pretty much everything. And um, and back then, tennis was when I played tennis, it was uh, it was a real sort of a. Uh, a, a groupy kind of thing you know you had uh, your people meet at the courts you know we only had a couple courts uh, no 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 surface on those courts they were just like asphalt and lines and the back court part of it was gravel so you you learned how to play up base, next to the baseline pretty fast um, and um, but I would play you know um, my mother would drop me off and I'd play there all day Saturday Sunday and and uh, but never had a lesson would go in the library read tennis magazine from beginning to end or world tennis whatever it was called then and learned how to play um uh, you know by and had a couple former former uh college players that were school teachers in the area that would hit with me some but uh, no formal lessons or anything like that and was fortunate enough when I graduated I was going to go to work in my father's uh, car dealership um 
I was not going to go to uh, college, um, and my dad said he would pay for me to go to Dennis Vandermeer Teaching Academy uh, at, uh, I think it was um, Sweetbriar College. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right, and, Sweetbriar. Uh, he did that at Sweetbriar for years, and that was – we used to um, hang on to, you know, looking for the world tennis every month because Dennis Vandermeer – we had a lesson with Dennis Vandermeer, and he would – be showing showing something simple, but we we got one lesson out of the <laughs> world tennis once once a month. But he was always at Sweetbriar up there. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So. And I went up there and then um, uh, met a guy uh, uh, that uh, changed my life. Really, mm-hmm. Eddie Parker was working for him, and uh, mm-hmm. Eddie asked me if I was going to college to play tennis. And I said no. I was going to work my father's mm-hmm. car dealership, and he said, "Would you be interested?" And going to Coastal Carolina, and I said, yes, um, I'd love to do that. So I came home, told Dad, Mom, I said, hey, I may go to college. And they said, that's great. And so packed up a month and so later and went to school, and it really did change my life. I, I got to speak with um, uh, Pat Vandermeer recently after Dennis passed away, and I, I thanked her for what that that one weekend did for me, uh, got me into college and uh, got to play at Coastal and um, you know, I think we had four coaches in five years that I was there and, um, uh, and then finished out there and just loved the game, loved teaching, uh, taught in Myrtle Beach, uh, taught some great kids uh, in Myrtle Beach over the years, um, just good families, and then um, moved to Chapel Hill and wanted to stay into coaching and uh, worked with um, Mitch Mitchell, one of your former players, which was just a fantastic guy um, and a great work ethic. And, uh, um, and then kind of worked my way into, uh, you know, an assistant, a volunteer coach uh, at UNC for, for a season, um, just hit with players and, and went to the matches and things like that. And then ended up getting an assistant job at Duke and then um, went to uh, Clemson and did my master's degree there in two years and was assistant and hired as a head coach back at Duke and I just loved um, I loved coaching I love the on court stuff I'm a big technical person and um, I, I just uh, enjoyed it so much but um, I, I just um, did did it for several years and then realized that it, there was an opportunity to me maybe to go on and do something different but keep coaching and so got real interested in financial planning after that and uh, made that decision and um, it was a good decision but I do miss the coaching part I I miss the players and uh, love working with them well you're you're doing great in what you're doing but uh, I've I've got to share jump in there and share a little bit about you Um, of course uh, I remember you coming to Charleston and taking a job as a principal or an athletic director at a uh, elementary or junior high and directing and doing doing really having a tremendous amount of responsibility. You, you you high school coaches out here, this is for you. You know what this is like. You said you were doing about seven different jobs, and and uh, again we got paid like teachers uh, salaries, and you have tremendous responsibility like administrators, and um, you know you often wonder you know, why you get into what you get into, um, the residual uh, advantages or the effects of coaching, of course, are the relationships and those t- those things. And, Jody, I got a way of canon stuff. I always say people work for financial reward or material reward, association, being part of something, appreciation, you know, just uh, being appreciated goes a long, long way. 
self-improvement or service to others. And that coaching, we get, we I guess we get our feedback from those things. But um, you basically uh, have done so many years of giving to other people. And here's here's what I want you to talk about, if you can. We have been addressing the sleeping giants of tennis because I'm trying to get the word out there, folks, we can have a resurrection in tennis. We can have another tennis boom. But I think we're barking up the wrong tree. The sleeping giants have been, I always say it's high school tennis, and this is for you, small town tennis USA. Almost every time I have a successful coach on, they all have the same story as I had. No lessons, grew up at a park, grew up in a small town, fell in love with the game, tried to get better, wanted to stay in the game, and then when opportunities were there, you were able to jump on them. But then the other sleeping giants, of course, are older people. No tournaments for people that, you know, so-and-so. But uh, but basically, small-town tennis USA, talk about that part, your hunger for opportunities. But then, if you could translate into what we're doing today, I believe we're – we're killing a lot of the motivation with so much of the academy movement. This is not a slam on academies, but could you talk briefly about those things? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, my situation was, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, the county I grew up in was the poorest county in the state of Virginia, and most people, when they would leave uh, high school, if, if they went to college, a lot of them would be back within a semester or two back in that town. The coal mines were going out there wasn't much going on and so I kind of saw tennis as a ticket I, I, I wasn't a good basketball player I was I was not a great you know football player but tennis was something that I just I loved everything about it. I loved the people that played it the atmosphere but it became you know I played to to possibly get out of there didn't was it wasn't my plan that you know I was going to go to work in the car leadership but it gave me the opportunity to get out of that town, but it, it made me a student of the game because I didn't have I didn't have lessons, I didn't have clinics. Um, I had to learn and become a student of the game by by reading. And um, I remember my parents had this VHS thing that they got, and I would tape, you know, Wimbledon and anything that was on TV and watch it over and over again. Um, and I think that uh, you know today, and I know a lot of players that were good back in that time, you know, didn't come from, you know, big cities and uh, or large um, academies and things like that. But then I think that it changed uh, and the mindset sort of became that in order to be good, you've got to go to one of these, you know, big academies. Um, and I think that mindset's gone into a lot of parents I've talked to. Well, if you're not playing four hours a day and, you know, doing the homeschool and all that, that you don't have a chance to be good. And I don't know how much truth there is to that. I don't have all the stats on, you know, the kids that come, you know, from the smaller towns and after school program versus a full program. But I think it's, um, I think the mindset has hurt a lot of people that maybe can't afford an academy or to send their kid off or, or they don't have the ability to homeschool them and, and have them go, you know, hit all day. So I think a lot of that's come into the, um, mindset of parents and their you know kids are playing a lot of other sports that they can play after school um and it don't cost as much money you know um jody if i could jump in there um here is a thing i lived through okay our era very similar 
Now, you were probably academies were going on when you started playing tennis, but of course, where you were at, you didn't have many opportunities. But there's something about the sport of tennis itself, just the intrigue of it, the uh, the scoring system, the chess of it, the mental. Once you learn the physical part, the mental part of it, it stimulates you. So. In 1980, I was sitting in the National Teachers Conference in New York, Roosevelt Hotel, and the great Clarence Mabry to coach at um, Trinity University. And actually, Trinity University was always top five in the country for 20 years. They had the McKinley brothers, Brian Godfrey, to Dick Stockton, uh, Paul Gherkin, and just these great teams won the NCAA in 72, should have won it in 76, 77. Boy, they had a heartbreaker loss to UCLA. I'd love those guys on Trinity were really something. But here the point I'm making is the McKinley's learned a guy in uh, St. Louis named Bill Price. He taught his kids one year of ping pong. This is at his club. One year of ping pong they had to play, and they got into tournaments and everything. They played one year of ping pong before they went out on the tennis court. And then it was a big graduation thing, and then they – Listen, I've sort of secretly done this with my son, who loves baseball. <laughs> He's got very good hand-eye coordination, but we've got a ping-pong table, and he is just ripping it in ping-pong. He's getting really good. And I sort of snuck him on the tennis court <laughs> about two weeks ago, and, oh, my gosh, he's got his strokes are coming. It's just the hand-eye coordination and the feel. But anyhow, Bill Price did that. We learned by at Park, this Dr. Sid E. Parks is is – is how we said we learned. But there were always these, uh, what I want to say, these hotbeds of tennis, whether it was St. Louis or Los Angeles or, you know, uh, whether it was in Richmond, Virginia, of course, where you were closer, where so many players came out of Richmond, Virginia. You know, Eddie Parker is still doing a great job up there with, with, with people. And uh, so there were hotbeds. And basically, you would you say it's right that you had the intrigue for the sport? It intrigued you and tantalized you and, and uh, enticed you more than any of the other sports. Is that is that correct? I mean, you you gravitated to it without an academy, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird that I didn't. I mean, I, I remember going. We were very poor when I was really young, and and uh, I, we didn't have enough money to buy. Uh, there was a, a store. I don't know if you guys remember it called. Uh, I think it was Roses, and uh, we went right, to right. Roses. And there was a. They had a tennis racket there. It was his, it was an AJ. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know if AJ exists anymore, but it was. Uh, I don't know. It was probably under ten dollars, and I begged my, begged my mom to buy it. She bought me the racket, but we didn't have enough money to buy any tennis balls, so I. I didn't have any tennis balls for a while, but then we went back later, and we got we. She bought me a. It was a big bin. She bought me a couple tennis balls, and uh, I would hit on this little brick thing, um, over and over and over again, um, again. But uh, I don't know. I, I I just don't know. I just think that God was leading me somehow to you know that I was that I was going to you know play tennis and um, and uh, one but one thing in a county when not many people play, it's easy to be the best. <laughs> so that was. Uh, that was something that uh, you know you kind of stand out when not many people play, and I felt like you know that hey hey I'm I'm pretty good at this and uh, in my county, but I learned later on that I wasn't as good as I thought it was when I got out among a lot of other college players. But um, but it was it gave me self confidence uh, because I wasn't a big kid, um, 
and I, I, I couldn't jump real high, but uh, it's something that I, that I understood it and I learned it on my own. And um, so it, it did. It was, it was very intriguing to me, the sport and the science of it and the, the everything about it uh, just was it, it just took me it took it took over my whole uh, outlook uh, that that's what I wanted to do. You know, uh, I, I, I want to go a little bit further into this because this is important. Yesterday I addressed with my players, I want you to be a tennis player, not just someone who plays tennis. In other words, I said in your mind I want you to be a professional player who happens to be in college. Now, does that mean grinding and everything? No, you haven't made any money yet. But you're I'm, you're a professional in your business, aren't you? I mean, if you were – you're a guy who manages people money now, but you're a professional, aren't you? You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's a yep. difference between you and someone who says, I got that job down the street at that guy, you know, and I'm I'm making some bucks. Yeah, I'm into it a little bit, I guess. Right. There's a big difference, isn't there, between being a professional money yeah. advisor. Right. It's completely different. Same thing with me. This is year 42 in coach. 47 years I've been coaching kids, but – I am a professional because of the way I go after this passionately. I am a tennis coach. The day I'm not a professional, then you walk away from it, you know, with what you do. So the point I want to make, and then getting back to that story uh, with Clarence Mabry, is that Clarence Mabry in 1980, that great coach at Trinity who coached all those great players, I'm a young coach. I'm sitting in there at the National Teachers Conference. U.S. Open, I got to go to, you know, several of them in the 80s and early 90s for various reasons. But I am on fire to listen to the greatest college coach of all time. And the question was asked to him, Jody, he go, they go, he go, uh, a guy raised his hand and said, Coach Mabry, what is the most important quality of a championship tennis player? And everybody, of course, thinks no. It's the, uh, it's going to be the Jimmy Aries forehand. Uh, you know, the big ripping forehand. It's going to be most important quality. It's got to be, uh, you know, mental toughness. It's got to be. He said he scratched his chin. He said honestly, the most important quality of a championship tennis player is the hunger of an inquisitive mind. Huh. I go, whoa, the mind that's seeking out all of the answers on their own. You know, the, the, you're trying to figure it out. Now, what we have done is we have brought tennis to kids with an academy like a restaurant. The waiters bring food in a restaurant, and we serve it and said, how will this be? How's your meal, sir? Well, I didn't want to work on as many forehands as we did. How is your meal today, sir? So you, you get the drift there. That's I think that is the whole crux of what may be going on because week after week on our program when we talk to these championship coaches and people like yourself who's coached, you know, and, and been into tennis for so long, the hunger of the inquisitive mind is 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 probably not the answer to way coaches would, would, would think right now. What would you think, Jody? Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. I think that um, I have three boys, and two of them play competitively, and the, young, the youngest one's not doing that yet. But I always tell them, I say, you know, you got to be a student of the game, and you got to have the hunger to go do this on your own. I always used to have this phrase when I was coaching, you know, you'd look out for the best tennis player money could buy. And, you know, you, you know that, uh, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these, 
people have have you know been catered to all the way through and there's nothing wrong with it but uh, i find that you know even with my kids sometimes you know they're not wanting to be a student of the game and learn on their own um, it's like well what do i have lesson this week what do i have clinic anything outside of that that i find there's no desire to research it on their own and go out and figure it out you know go hit a basket of serves go ask a friend to play a set figure it out on their own without always having somebody there standing there behind you telling you what to do and telling you how to how to basically how to play the game and 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 how how to figure it out with them telling you what to do so um that's something that i you know i used to call them club rats i used to love the club rats who would you know go to the club on a saturday and just play anybody um and, and do it on their own and figure things out i think everybody does need coaching but i think it's overtaken the what you're talking about um about about the inquisitive mind of and the hunger to go out and do that on your own and i i i want my boys to do it um but i find that you know they get so scheduled in this that they you know i mean it's like it's like the kid that reads on their own usually do does very very well rather than the kid that you have to make them read so um i think that that's uh it's lacking right now with with our junior our junior tennis players uh, it's everything though and and i mean i'm guilty of that i um golly we never had lessons we grabbed the ball and the bat and hit the back door and we were gone mom said be home at six i guess the the uh, climate that we have out in the world where everybody is on a treadmill has something to blame with that but we don't we have something to blame with this with so much top-down management that we are pushing right now i mean it's been competitive to the place now look if you're running an academy out there, somebody I'm not. You may be doing it right and turning out great, great players, but what typically happens at academies is that they bring in players and they try to get a name player or two, and then they will push those kids. But then they have the second line kids who are trying to be that player, but then they have the third line after school kids that come in and. They're charged a lot, and they pay most of the bills. And what happens, most of the parents there and the kids look at it like, well, this is sort of like learning how to play the piano. We'd like for our youngster to have a, um, you know, a sport as an activity. But, in the, but some of the parents are pushing those kids, why aren't you a top player? And then that's where the problem happens when the, the youngster doesn't own it. In other words, it's not bad to give your kids – experiences but if they're not hungry for the experience if they're not hungry they're not going to eat and they're not going to come to the table and try to get hunger for this so what i want to talk the second half of the program about what some solutions might be i think we're doing a good job at maybe pointing this out but daggone it we, we need to try to come up with some solutions and give some people out there some ideas on 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 what to do the do here um top down management what are your thoughts there i mean i'm not going to just slam the usta but i don't see i see them putting together programs not incentives and that i always say it's not systems it's incentives what are your thoughts there well i think the usta's made a 
an effort with, I think, the Next Gen uh, program, you know, of getting a lot of kids participating with the different, you know, types of uh, tennis balls. Um, and I'm not sure what the numbers are. You all, you, you may know that, but I don't know if how effective that that's becoming um, or, or the results that they've had from it, so I'm not exactly sure. But I know they've made an effort to get more kids participating, but as you know, you know, that does not lead to the excellent players. Um but uh, but you know I I I don't know what um, other countries are doing as far as development. But there's a lot of players coming from smaller countries that turn out really good players. And you know what's the difference there? So is it the fact that we have so many sports in the U.S. now uh, versus you know maybe in the 70s and 80s? And a lot of those countries they don't play a lot of football, basketball, and baseball. Um, you know they don't do a lot of um, skateboarding and you know extreme sports uh it's it's more concentrated on you know maybe soccer and tennis and um so i i'm not really sure you know why um why we're not getting more players uh you know in the in the national rankings so I, i don't know what the answer is there you know, I but but your observation is exactly is exactly right about participation. I, but here is a fact: excellence always breeds participation, but participation does not breed excellence. This is a very 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 important thing. And as, as I talk to high school coaches, there is a no cut rule or thing with high schools now, where they allow sometimes up to thirty or forty kids participating. Uh, in high school tennis, and then they end up becoming an anchor that drags everybody down, and uh, and uh, it really dilutes, sometimes pollutes, dilutes and pollutes. I don't want to say dilute, pollute, and prostitute, but 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 it dilutes and pollutes the process. Excellence breeds participation. Participation does not breed excellence. That's a important important fact the countries who have done well with just programs are primarily socialist countries to a large part the european countries and it's interesting a country like france folks they have lots and lots of very very good players but when is the last time they had a champion jody have they ever had a champion since yannick noah i mean never right no no so they're very good at making people good but if you're in France, take this personal now, and it's true about you guys. You know, the bad person, but in the socialist countries, you have a lot of good, very few great. The people who are becoming great, if you look, a lot of them are from Serbia. They're from the Czech Republic. They're from small South American countries where excellence is still the norm. And uh, whether you're, you read stuff from the book Good, Vers- good to Great, or whether you understand that excellence breeds participation, it will not happen from systems. One of the greatest problems in the U.S. is that we have tried to copy other countries. Well, USA people are independent. USA people are fighters. USA people don't like being second level. And so it's not systems. It's, it's, it's incentives. But Jody, I want to solve the problem of mediocrity and tweenerism in the USA tennis when we come back. If you can, you hold on. I, I really appreciate yep. you being on today. So sure. uh, I'm going to put Jody Hyden on um, pause right here, and we we have to go to a commercial, and we will right be right back with American tennis. 
And this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and I would like to tell you, and I'm so very, very proud that my book, Coaching Tennis, is still on the market after 20 years, and it's been rated the third. Folks, that's the third best and third best-selling instructional book in all of tennis. It's still out there with over 45,000 copies already sold, and it's still out, and you can still get it through Amazon. Tennis is so much more than just hitting the ball, the strategies, the physical part of the game, the mental part of the game, and the emotional part. And nowhere else will you find in-depth study and understanding about momentum control and how to manage not just the mental part but the emotional part of the game. The name of the book is Coaching Tennis, and it's by Coach Chuck Creasy, K-R-I-E-S-E. Please go to Amazon and order this book. Coach Chuck Creasy, and I'm back with Coach Jody Hyden. And we've been trying to, I always say, try to name it, claim it, and then tame it, Jody. Um, You know, I always tell my youngsters I'm working with, uh, young people now have a tendency to name it, rearrange it, and then blame it. And, uh, you know, we could go into forever about the motivation You know, uh, here's the thing about motivation I want to tell you real quick. If you're a parent, always remember this. Everything that we want is outside of our comfort zone. In other words, when we give kids participation trophies or when we give them prizes they don't deserve or when we make things easy for them, they're operating in their comfort zone. And I know we don't like to see them suffer, but everything they want and desire is outside of their comfort zone. And as much as they can get out of their comfort zone and own it, That's the deal. And how you do that? Well, (laughs) 50 different players, 50 different ways. Jody, we have a disease of tweenerism in the United States. That means that people get pretty good but not great. And I can talk about that in a minute. But could you just, what you observe, um, some of the things we might, might do, or let's address that problem in this segment if we can. Yeah, well, I, I think um, I think you know, tennis is it seems to be diluted more. Like I said, with so many other sports, and so many other sports are cool. And uh, I think John McEnroe said something a year ago or so that you know we need to make tennis cool again, and 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 these kids uh, be recognized for their efforts and uh, and their their hard work. Um, I, I was talking about this you uh, to, this to you last night about you know here in in Charleston area we have the low country golf news that's in every restaurant and uh and a lot of stores when you walk in they have the free papers and and you see there every every month i think they do one once a month or once every two months but they've got you know the junior players who won the the local tournament or who's going to, to you know getting a scholarship somewhere or but that information's out there for people to see and we don't really have anything like that with tennis um, occasionally you'll see a local paper run an ad on somebody but it'd be great to to have something out there where other kids see hey you know wow you play tennis that's pretty cool um but we don't really have that um that um 
media exposure on on uh, local levels for these kids, you know, training, working hard, and programs, and and uh, um, you know, I, I think that's that's important to these kids, and they tend to gravitate to things that people think are cool. Um, so you know, and I don't know what the answer uh, is, you know, right away, but I think that somehow promoting these kids some way so that other kids see that, wow, that's a that's great that you just did well in a tournament or, or that you're working that hard. Um, and uh, I, I think that kids get to the point where they go, you know, well, what am I doing this for? I'm not, you know, I'm not really, you know, nobody knows about this. Nobody knows about it in school. Nobody, and I think that they start, you know, losing interest as they, as they get older. Okay, you've addressed some important thing there. Number one, I'd like to ask you, why is golf ahead of tennis in that regard? Uh, uh, in other words, there that's a similar sport, similar uh, uh, on financial, you know, e- economic package as far as the parents and the type of people that play. Why is golf ahead of us there? Well, I, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not sure why they're. Um... And I know that when Tiger Woods came on the scene, you know, every kid in America wanted to play golf. You know, that was a huge uh, excellence breeds golf. participation. Excellence breeds participation. With Tiger Woods, all yep. those guys that are beating him right now, as he's trying to stay alive, played because Tiger Woods made the sport so visible. I was what I believe. Excellence breeds participation. Yep. And and then I growing up, you know, McEnroe, Borg, Connors, you know, I mean, I I, I was like, you know, they were like rock stars to me to 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 just you know watch them play and made me want to play, made me want to participate, maybe want to you know wear the clothes that they wore, play with the rackets they played with, um, and I think that some of that's missing in the U.S. right now, a real, you know, like a, an Agassi or um, you know a, a personality maybe that would uh, be visible to get more kids excited um, and stay with the sport longer. We, 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 we do <clears throat> look, we, we've become a socialist country in that we have a lot of very good players, but I want to give you some statistics here <clears throat> in 1986. And you're probably talking about coming along in the seventies and early eighties. I learned in sixties to play tennis, early sixties and late sixties, my heroes were Dennis Ralston. I used to make believe I was Dennis Ralston on the backboard. I can remember seeing him on the the front of Sports Illustrated, I believe. I think they called him Dennis the Menace because he was so intense, and I was wired like him. I was a, a fighter. Rod Laver I loved. Of course, Arthur Ashe. I have to tell you an Arthur Ashe story here in a little bit. But those were my the idols. Now, in the 80s, 1986, we had 40, I believe it, 41 USA-born men and women that were in the top 100 in the world. Today we have four. Four. The only I look, I love John Isner. I love him. He is the best ambassador for the game we have out there. He's just great. But outside of him, we have who do we have that played college? Uh, Stevie Johnson. Boy, what a competitor. And we have, of course, Tennis Sangren is the guy I wish he could. Tennis, if you're listening to this, stay in the game. You'd be a top tenner. Everybody, you would resurrect tennis because of the way his journey has been such a great one. But we have four. And I think we have uh, on the women's side, Nicole Gibbs. I don't know if she's still up there. 
We had, of course, the Falcone girl that played at Georgia Tech. It was quite good. But but the point is, Jody, what what are we doing wrong? We've got a lot of average other than these, these guys. We need 20 fighting for number one. And then we need to – look, we need to have three – USA Tennis, we need the three out of top five, at least two, need to be from, from USA. And the women's, it's pretty good. But the men, not. It's been not 2002 since we've had a Grand Slam champion. What is that? 2018 years times four Grand Slams is 72 tries. No Grand Slam champions. So yep. what are your thoughts yep. there? What, what, are we, what are we doing wrong with, with our best of the best? Well, I, I, yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and I think um, I think we have kids have so many options in the U.S. If stuff, if stuff doesn't work out in their sport, they have so mm. many options uh, for plan B to plan B to make it the disease to of be plan comfortable. Bs. Right. Yeah, right. They have so many. Like if it doesn't work out, I can, you know, I can do this or I can do this or. Um, but there's, they're going to be comfortable no matter what, most of these kids that, you know, get to a certain level and if it doesn't work out. Um, so I don't know if there's that burning desire to, you know, to, oh, my gosh, I've, I've got to do this because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's my life. And I think that there's a lot of outs um, and, uh, and a lot of options maybe that, that, you know, players from other countries don't feel like that they have and they have a more – uh, vision of that this is going to be my my journey until I absolutely you know fail completely or, or don't make it. You know, in college we're not helping it along either. Um, most of the youngsters. First of all, I just put a note note down here. We're going to start calling that the Plan V B virus. How do you like that? You like that? I like it. The Plan like B it. virus. Yep. Hey, uh, sorry, you got the Plan B virus, son. You know, you you're you look like you're competing, but you're not really a competitor. You know, you you know, <laughs> the plan B. Okay, there we go. Um, but let's why? Okay, so what do we do? Uh, you know, the options that the kids have with the plan B. Uh, what what do we do, Jody? I mean, wh- how would we? How do we stimulate that again? Um, how do we? I mean, okay, now, I'm, you know where I'm leading with this. How much does it cost to play junior tournaments? What is the payoff for the kid after they get real good? Is there a college scholarship for them after they get good? So if I'm yeah, – well, Yeah, I, I can – I mean, I, I think that um, the cost to play these tournaments is unbelievable, and sometimes how long they they draw the tournaments out, you know, you know, one match a day and some of these things when they can play two and – Instead of staying two nights or three nights, you got to stay four or five nights. You know, hotel, travel, gas, or you know, any of an airfare, and then and then you you have to have a parent that uh, or or two if you got two kids that can take off work and take them, or you have a coach to go with them, which is a which is a, a great value, but you you know that's a, that's an expense, um, and so the cost to do this on an ongoing basis is is really really high. Um, and then you add on your coaching and all that, and probably um, more so than you know going up to Columbia and playing two soccer games in a day and coming home versus a tournament, you know, you know, two, three, four, five days or, or longer. Um, so that's a that's a big issue too. The cost of it um, is uh, it, it's gotten 
I mean, it's it's crazy how how much money it takes to to get your kid through the you know into the juniors into the higher level juniors is extremely expensive and um and and I think a lot of down the road I've seen a lot of kids and parents get to a certain point where they go well you know they've learned how to play they know they've got a sport for life um but we're we're done with this because it's we there's no way we can keep doing this and I think that's really sad okay I'm going to give you statistics here would you say it could cost up to $1,200 a weekend for a, a, a player to be at a tournament? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, now that's, listen, that's folks, sure. listen to this. Okay, so I'm leading here. My my friend said he came to Charleston, and they had a rain day, and he ended up uh, costing $1,200 by the time he paid entry fee, which was about 130 40 bucks. okay? The stuff that you have to do that goes along with the tournament, there's other frills and stuff. You got it, so you've got 200 bucks if you get a racket strung or something like that. Hotels and food, he spent 1,200 bucks. He figured out his son got to play. Listen now, f- folks, 48 total games. Listen, no ad scoring. So you know what he said to me? I figured out that each game, 48 games divided by into 1,200 is $24.25, $24.25, $24 per game. Now, if you folks, listen to this one. Here's, here's where the USDA, you're missing the thing. You're missing this. Look, per point with no ad scoring is between four and seven points. So four into 24 is $6 a point if it's in love game. Between six dollars a point to to down to about four dollars a point. Okay, if you're talking four to six dollars a point, and then you're playing no ad scoring. Now, now, and then on top of that, you might not get a chance to go to college. You might be the number six player in the state of uh, Dagon, North Dakota, South Dakota. You know, maybe. 10th in South Carolina, you're not going to get picked up because most of the college coaches now are recruiting overseas. And most of the college coaches are on the Internet and they're saying, look, I've got to save my job. I've got to win, rah, rah, rah. I've been in that mix too. And uh, the point is, Jody, when you and I went to college, I got to go to college and I was okay in the state of Indiana. But I got to go to college and play tennis. You went to West Virginia because you met Eddie Parker. You got your college education. We would not be able to get that now. So I'm not – look, folks, I'm not bashing foreign students. I am not doing that. I've had some and great experience. And thank you, Harry Hopman, and thank you, Dennis Vandermeer, who really brought your stuff to the U.S. and helped. But look, if a parent can't – if they can play – and pay, spend spend four to six dollars per point of competition in no ad. When you play no ad, that's ludicrous. So it doesn't take long for parents to figure this out, and we've got to do something about that. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I I, I agree with you. Um, it's uh, it's gotten um, so expensive to play, and um, you know now now we're seeing it because of COVID. You know, a lot of programs. 
that are canceling their tennis programs, the, the men and women's programs, and, and will they come back? It's very easy. It's very very uh, easy to cancel a program, but it's very tough to bring one back because now the ads have to put that back into the budget. Um, and it's it's very difficult to get a program back, and which shrinks your uh, ability for kids to go, uh, you know, get a scholarship and play. So that's a real that's a real. Uh, I was talking about that with my wife recently. I said, you know, if, if if these programs continue to be canceled and then they don't come back, you know, what's the return on our, you know, investment with our kids? Um, they're just going to be you know, good players coming out, and then, you know, they'll play at the club, but there might not be an opportunity. So I think that people are thinking about that, which is another negative on on junior development. Um, you know, it's like, okay, is my kid going to go pro? Uh, so that is a concern um, with these college programs um, dropping off, and will they come back? Um, and that's definitely something that um, I think people are worried about. I don't know. I think it's over 20 were dropped at the start of the virus last. Um, and, and sorry to say that some prime programs in different states were hit first. And athletic directors look, and they just said it's sort of an easy one to do because there's about $500,000 being invested in there, and I'm not going to get any kickback from parents uh, primarily. And Again, uh, should we have international players? Absolutely. But should every spot on a college team be taken from by an international student? No, especially if you're state university. That's my thought. And, uh, you know, that's that's not anti-whatever against somebody from out of the country. Again, I've, I've got many friends that have, that have done fantastic, uh, you know, in our programs uh, from out of the country. But but it's it's uh, again the fact of the matter is we've got to do something where we get american players back on on in the colleges and uh, the usta i've i've asked for a system i hate to talk system i got system on my mind i don't mean that an incentive where maybe the usta could reward the best teams with american players somehow with grants or something like that and then you reward the action, the thing that you want. You cannot go in and say, "Look, you can't have foreign players." You know, even though every country in the world says only two foreign players on their club teams or their national, te- only two. We we just have opened it up, opened it up there. But uh, yeah, anyhow, I'd like to see more local tournaments or or, or club. Uh, I was I was talking about you this before about you know the other countries let us play inter club. I know Federer in his book talks about playing inter club a lot and how you know that was important to his upbringing um and his development. Um and and we don't do that here. I know they have the team tennis uh, Billy Jean King runs and I think that's a great thing to you know to make it more like a you know, kind of like a basketball game, you know. Um but I'm talking about uh, you know, one club playing the other club, uh, whether it be you know during the week in the summer or the weekends, and and play you know two out of three regular scoring, um, you know maybe a, a college format of six and three, or or you you could have any number of kids play uh, in, in an event like that if you've got the courts. But but you know that's I think promoting competitive local things that you don't have to get hotels, you don't have to fly, you don't have to. Uh, you know, pay coaching to go, you know, away for a weekend when you can't go, but make things accessible. And and I don't, I don't, I'm not seeing that 
happen a lot anywhere that I've ever lived and and coached or worked. So I'm not sure why we don't have we well have more. Of a I, I could jump in there a little bit with the international players that I have had and been there. Uh, the club assist, clubs are very much like churches and um, um, you know schools here. Our churches have become our social gathering places to a lot now lately with this daggone come on. You know, what's going on with this virus keeping us out of our churches? What are you guys doing? We need that social gathering place. But clubs are very much like that. The other thing, we used to have elementary school sports and junior high sports in the USA. In other words, an elementary school would have their own basketball, football, baseball. And and, uh, I think that what happened was – you know, there's two things, hiring coaches or, you know, and it wasn't good enough just to have parents, but also now the, whether it's AAU basketball or travel baseball or things, independent groups have sort of taken that over, you know, for our sports, but you're right. Exactly. We don't have a competition other than the USTA for youngsters to get into. And therefore parents are handcuffed. The UTR now is, is, um, you know, maybe the way to go. But uh, but again, it, it is definitely definitely a, a problem. Uh, Jody, um, did you have anything on that? I, I want to. I, I got a big question to ask you here, and I'm going no, 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 to have you go. No, no, go. Yeah, go ahead. All right, we've got about six seven minutes here. Um, the sleeping giants. Okay, here we go again for my, my 25th time on American Tennis Radio. The sleeping giants of. Tennis in the USA, da-da-da. Number one, high school tennis is pretty much an after-school activity if we don't. And listen, if we, we need to do two things. The format that everyone is using, folks, do not use that team format of five and two with no ad scoring and tiebreakers with third set. That interests no one. And other than a state like Texas, California, I think, a few few other places, the format really is killing off. We're missing an opportunity. Even though we have no-cut tennis, no-cut tennis, again, participation does not breed excellence. That's number one. Number two, small-town tennis USA. How do we get people like the Eddie Parkers, people in – Come on, he picked you out of a small town in West Virginia and gave you an opportunity, and I hope you're sending him a Christmas card and a birthday card every every year for what that meant for your life. But Small Town Tennis USA, over 74% of all professional athletes in the United States of America come from towns under 50,000 people. So what have we been doing? We've been promoting inner-city big towns where kids want to fit in and stay in. Small-town kids want to stand up and get out. And and so small-town tennis, how do we do that? I My promote proposal was use, you know, the college players that want to be coaches and teachers instead of players and give them jobs at the YMCA and community centers during the summer and get them to stir things up. 22 to 35 are the ages of tennis players that we are not doing anything for. We need more after college where there are some vibrant tournaments to keep people alive for that 12-year period where they commit tennis suicide and stop playing. Our senior citizens are going to pickleball, Jody. Pickleball, give me a break. 
Every tennis player knows that thing will not be around in five years because it's easy to pick up, easy to put down. And then the bottom up instead of the top-down management instead of bottom-up management. First of all, can you go through those five? Talk about high school tennis. Give you about 30, 40 seconds on each one of them. Go ahead. What are your thoughts? Yeah, high school well, I, tennis. I, I think that um, high school tennis, uh, I've said that, you know, even with my, my boys, a lot of the kids that – they say, I don't want to play high school tennis. It doesn't count for anything. There's no USTA points. There's no DUTR points. I'm not Whoa. going to play that. So I think that the USTA and the UTR should somehow allow those matches to count, and I think more people would play. Um, but that is the mindset that, you know, I, I'm going to go somewhere and play this this tournament because I'm. it's got a point value. I need that to get my ranking up or to get my UTR up, and I'm not going to play anything that doesn't. So – I've always said, you know, if it counts, kids might play more. Um, so that's that's one of the things that I would like to see. We've personally experienced that where we've had people say, I'm not going to play on the team because there's no incentive for me to get any points or anything like that, So which which bothers me a little bit for the pride. You know, you, you play for the pride and in, in the, in the pride of your school, right. um, whether I, or not I, you get points or not. That point system is a bugger for me. I think it's important to the parents, but I think kids play for rivalries and tournaments of heritage. But what, okay, what about small-town tennis? You're from small-town tennis. But for meeting Eddie Parker, would your life have been different? How do we get the Eddie oh. Parkers into small towns? Yeah, I mean, you've got to have um... – you know, you got to have small town give kids something else to do besides your, you know, your your regular big three sports, um, and and get uh, people there that can run a small program on a couple of courts uh, is huge to offer that, and it's not offered very much in small towns, and um, those are oftentimes the kids that could you know really gravitate to a to a program, easy to get to the courts, don't have to fight traffic. Um, you know, I, I think that that's something that we really need to. Uh, emphasize and put people in areas to to start programs in those in those small areas and maybe we could have competition inner small town tennis and small yeah. town tennis usa is a cool name i don't care what the guy who was in charge of something told me he thought it was discriminatory towards small town didn't want to be called small town hey i didn't know who was it i grew up in a small town who was that guy from indiana that singer uh, what was his name? Mellencamp or John, John Cougar? Dun- <laughs> John Cougar Mellencamp. He thought it was cool to be from a small town. So Larry Bird, you know. Yeah. So, did, so did 74% of our so small town tennis USA folks. We got to get going. Ages 22 to 35. What in the world have we done there, where we have not fostered continued competition there with those people? Yeah, I mean, most of those people end up uh, getting out of the game and. And and they uh, they end up playing golf, right? I mean that's uh, yeah yeah that's they do. The golfers never golfers never quit after college tennis, you know. But they do senior uh, citizen tennis. Here's here's the here's the big one. What's the deal with pickleball, Jody? What are we going to do with senior citizens and get them back into tennis? Well, I mean I've had a view of this for a long time. I think what really hurt senior tennis was the racket changes. Um, I remember teaching Amen. in Chapel Hill. And they went from the, uh, you know, the wooden rackets, which the ball came off uh, slower. Um, the points were longer. People to net, you know, was uh, were able to volley the ball. And then they came out with the Wilson profile. Do you remember that racket? Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and I would be teaching, and these 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 the ball would come off so fast. People would get hit in the face. 
um, <laughs> because it changed the pace of the ball. And I was like, holy cow, this is – it's great for the striker, but for the recipient it was not – the points got shorter and shorter and um, – you know, the players weren't getting faster and stronger. And so um, very I, think that hurt, I think that hurt the senior game a lot and the, the speed of the ball, the speed of the points. And I think that it's hurt it on and on for your senior players. And now they're going to something. The ball doesn't come off that fast. It's, it's, uh, the points are, are slower. And I think that's what's happened. And I think that – and I don't know, they'll never go back. But I bet if you went back and put – a racket in everybody's hand like that, um, you would see longer points and, and seniors play. But I saw a lot of a lot of things uh, with those new rackets being so powerful that uh, the and the players weren't getting like I said faster and stronger. They're getting older, and it's actually the opposite. Right. They're slowing down, and the rackets are getting faster. Um, Amen. And, and the ball, I mean, the, the ball. symmetry's so been lost, was, right? Yeah, the symmetry right. has yeah. been lost. Yeah. Got to throw something in there. I have promoted. Uh, look. They tried to address it. They did in the younger age groups with the softer ball, the green balls. But when they tried to use the green ball with senior citizens, they go, I don't want to use a kiddie ball. Give me a break. I'm old, man. Don't. It's embarrassing. They should have made a gold star. I thought golden age ball, but a gold star ball, a special ball for senior citizens. But it's theirs, the golden ball, the gold star ball. It could have been theirs, and they wouldn't have lost it. But instead, they're freaking out over the stupid pickleball game. Sorry, pickleballers out there. I'm sorry. It's easy to pick up. It's going to be just as easy to put down, you know, for everybody else. You know, Jody, um, always this last uh, sleeping giant is what are your thoughts? Are there any other sleeping giants out there? Well, no, I mean, I think that, like I said, we're losing a lot of our, you know, athletes to other sports, and I don't know how we can change that. But I think that, you know, I've always – I remember just going to um, uh, Sky Zone one day with the boys on the trampoline park playing dodgeball, and I saw this I saw this gal, must have been 12 or 13, throwing a ball like a baseball pitcher. I mean, just knocking these kids out. And I, I looked at her parents. I said, does she play tennis? I said, no, she plays, she plays soccer and she plays softball. I go, man, you should get her on a tennis court because she's such a good athlete. She can throw. And I think we need to go in and, and honestly recruit athletes from other sports and get them in a program, small town or any program, and say, uh, but actually get pros to go out and recruit kids that have great athletic skills to come and try the sport and play. Um, I, I think that that's something that would be fantastic, but we're losing so many of our athletes to other sports, and, and they're not coming to tennis or back to tennis. What a thought. May, let's make tennis cool again. Let's make tennis great again in America. Jody, what a program. What a program, and I just thank you so much for being on on the program and we always end by saying that you know you're always in the process of winning or losing every day of your life and has very little to do with a win or loss jody hyden thank you and god bless you for the program today thanks very much thank you chuck you're you're a treasure to this game and uh and, and to the country hanging knowledge you're kind. so much hey Logo, hang, so hang much it in you. there man let's keep hanging in there keep doing it we'll see you all next week Never buy a tattoo on his-
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.